The hand that leadeth me is thine, and my support thy power divine. That's, that's our confidence, isn't it? It's not by what we do that we are led in the right way. It's by what God does in us and for us. Now we're going to look together at Lord's Day 49 and what it means to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But before we look at that Lord's Day, I'd like to read with you from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. There's a lot in here that really speaks to that prayer that we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Apostle writes, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man, of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I, am, I, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also... Be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Now looking at Lord's Day 49, which you can find on page 61 in the back of your Psalter hymnal, we have one very simple, straightforward question. As we walk through this process of looking at the Lord's Prayer, we're asked, what does the third request of the Lord's Prayer mean? And the answer is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help everyone to carry out the work he is called to as willingly and as faithfully as the angels in heaven. Simple, straightforward. 
absolutely life-altering. Beloved family of God in Christ, as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper, we should be overwhelmed by two things. The astounding grace of Christ who paid the ultimate price to save us. It's something we can see in the Lord's Supper. And that should leave us stunned. And the necessity of responding to that grace with a life filled to bursting with gratitude. And that makes this an excellent day to ponder the implications of Lord's Day 49. Because this Lord's Day considers a petition of the Lord's Prayer that leads us to seek God's help in expressing our gratitude. At birth, even at conception, we were separated from God, every one of us. Because of sin, we could not have communion. I'm not talking just the sacrament. We couldn't have a relationship with the Lord our God. And yet, when He led us to trust in Jesus, that absolutely changed. The separation ended. No longer were we cut off from God because by faith through His work we had been restored. We were forgiven from our sins. We were reconciled from our distance. By faith we were united to Jesus. So in Christ we have been delivered from our sin. We've been restored to God. And yet, and yet every day we see our hands reach out and take hold of that which they should not take hold of. We hear our lips utter words that are far more fitting for those who are outside of Christ than for those who are in. We allow our eyes to wander and to take in sights that they should not see because they're unrighteous. And then our minds replay those images like a favorite movie. When we look at The sin that remains in us, the sin which we continue, sadly, to embrace. We recognize that though we've been reconciled to God, yet, in some sense, we remain far off. In that we should be much closer. We should be much more conformed to His will and His purpose. We've been joined to Christ. We've been restored to God. But still we need to be transformed so that we might live the holy lives that please God, that show Him our gratitude. In teaching us to pray this petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus was teaching us that we need God's power to change our lives. We need Him to empower us to truly be thankful. And that must begin at the very root, not at what we say or what we look at or what we do, but at the root of all of that stuff. So in teaching us to pray this prayer, our Lord was teaching us to pray for unity of will with God. And that's our theme this morning. Christ calls us to pray for unity of will with God. And that begins negatively by rejecting selfish independence. That's our first point. We're praying that God would lead us to reject selfish independence. But rejecting independence kind of sounds strange to our ears, doesn't it? As good Americans. I mean, after all, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate our independence from the tyranny of our former king. Right? 
We're going to celebrate how God led us into independence. And many are, the, many are they among us who appreciate the independence of being their own boss, whether as a farmer or as a business owner. They, they like that independence of being able to make their own decisions and make their own way. And, and you young people, you long for that time when you're independent, when you're able to get out on your own and make your own way. And yes, you'll, you'll take mom and dad's advice, but you look forward to that time when you're independent of them, right? And all that's fine, because under many circumstances, independence is... A good thing. It's a gift. But not when it comes to our will, to our most basic desires. We are called to reject independence there because an independent will is a sinful will. The Bible tells us that from start to finish, both before Noah's flood and then after it. Genesis 6 and Genesis 9. The Bible tells us every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's talking about all of mankind. Every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That's comprehensive. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And Jesus said in Matthew 15 verse 19, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. It comes from within, from the heart. That's why Paul, in our text from Philippians 2, urged, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And he urged us to look not to our own interests, not to our independence, not to our self-promotion, but to the, the needs of others, to put ourselves last. Paul commands those things for the same reason that God said in the law, you should not worship false gods, you shall not kill, you shall not steal or covet or bear false witness. God commands those things just as Paul commands us to not act with selfish ambition or conceit because God knows left to our own devices that's exactly what we will do if we stand independent those are the sins the rebellions that we will commit so we're to pray that God would deliver us from that selfish independence what are we asking with that are we praying that God will teach us to no longer desire to do things that are fun? Or will teach us to be indecisive, refusing to express our own minds? No, of course not. But we are asking God to teach us to evaluate our will. Comparing our desires with the desire that God has expressed in His Word. Applying the wisdom given us by the Holy Spirit so that we can cast off all that conflicts with the will of God. Now that's a big request. In fact, it's precisely the opposite of what the world tells us to do, especially today. The world tells us that if it feels right, well, it can't be wrong. If it feels natural to us, if we, if, if we like it, well, then it must be right, it must be true, it must be good for us. And if it's hard for us, 
If it means denying that which comes natural, well, that must be wrong and we shouldn't do that. And if something's right for you, but it doesn't feel right for me, that's okay. We can have separate truths. That's what the world tells us. It tells us that we can and we should each be independent, both of of one another and of any lasting standard, including the Bible. That's comprehensive. It's a comprehensive worldview that insists that man can and should be independent, even of God. And so the world, and frankly our old nature, hate the idea that we need to submit to God. That we need to obey Him. In our sin, we don't want to hear that it's wrong to be gluttonous eaters, or it's wrong to be a greedy businessman. We don't want to hear that we have to restrain our urges and our desires and our looks and our thoughts. We don't want anybody to tell us that we can't have a particular forbidden pleasure. But it's not only the world, it's us. And we need to hear that. It's easy to point when we... Look at Lord's Day 49 and it says, Help us and all men to reject our own wills and to reject to obey your will. Boy, it's easy to point to those folks out there, isn't it? Those folks out there who break the Sabbath. Those folks out there who victimize people and, and make their riches on the backs of those who are mistreated. Those folks out there who are racist. Those folks... That's easy. But brothers and sisters, our will is no better. Our heart is no cleaner from the start. Our hearts naturally conceive of the very same sins as do those outside of Christ. Our wills eagerly cling to the very same wickedness as their wills. Because what comes naturally to all men is rebellion against God and defilement of His images, of His image within us. And we'll make no end of excuses to justify the rebellion of selfish independence. How can it be wrong if it feels that right? How can a relationship that, that makes me feel this good be not good? If my lifestyle, if my behavior hurts no one, well, why shouldn't I enjoy it? So go the excuses in our hearts. But if it conflicts with God's Word, then it is wrong, it is sinful, it is rebellion. And as such, to embrace it is to, re- to embrace rebellion against God. And folks, as those for whom Christ died, as those for whom He suffered the ultimate penalty, we cannot embrace rebellion against Him, can we? That would be the, the absolute essence of ingratitude. And so God calls us to pray for the power to reject that selfish independence. Because He knows we won't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We're not strong enough. So we pray that He would teach us to hate that rebellion. That He would enable us to turn away from it. That He would open our eyes to His Word and teach us to delight in it even as He teaches us to see our sin and to despise it. That's hard. You won't do it on your own. But if you pray every day 
for God to give you that insight and that ability, then every day you'll come to hate that sin a bit more. You'll come to hate that independence a bit more. You'll come to see how empty it is to live apart from God. And you'll despise it. You'll long to cast that off. And instead of that selfish independence, you'll ask your Heavenly Father to make you submissive. And that's our second point. We're praying that God would not only teach us to reject selfish independence, but that He would teach us to rejoice in submissive obedience. Now, of course, that assumes the inherent goodness of God's will, and that's a good assumption. The Bible, again, is filled with evidence of that. In Psalm 1, the very start of the Psalms, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. That's where they stand who are blessed, in God's law, meditating on God's will. Proverbs chapter 1, likewise, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we would have true knowledge, much less deep wisdom, we have to start with fearing the Lord, with seeking Him, with seeking His counsel. And Paul affirms in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Our God's wisdom is excellent beyond all measure. We can spend our lifetime studying it, evaluating it, applying it, and we'll only be scratching the surface. So if we would be wise, if our paths would be the paths of righteousness and blessing, then we need to pray that God would teach us to reflect His will, that He would teach us to rejoice in His will, that He would give us a unity with His will. We ask that His will would be done. That is, that His will would become our will and also that of all men. Not that we expect all men to love God. We know from the Bible that there will always be those who hate Him and reject Him. But we still pray that His will would be done by all men, willingly by those who know Him and love Him. Isn't that wonderful? When we see people who were in rebellion against God, who slowly are changed and transformed so that they begin to live a new kind of life. That's one of the blessings these gentlemen have as elders and that I have as a minister, is seeing people go through times of rebellion and struggle Sin, and the Lord works in them and turns them and changes them. That's a, that's a blessing for which we should pray. When there are members in the church who are under discipline, when there are members in your own family who are living in rebellion, you need to be praying that God would change their heart and turn them and make them willingly embrace His will. But also we can pray with confidence that His will will be done even by those who hate Him. Proverbs says that the Lord turns the heart of the king. It doesn't say whether the king's godly. Because we know that he, he was able to use even Nero and Domitian and, and those ungodly emperors of the Roman Empire. And so we can pray that God would use all of them, even despite their lack of an understanding of Him or their, their hatred for Him. 
as we pray for God's will to be done, we should be praying that more and more people come to know God, but that all men do what He ordains for His glory and for their good. And that's a longing for more than mere actions. Notice what our catechism says. Help us and all men to carry out the work we're called to as willingly and as faithfully as the angels in heaven. Now, what is so special about the angels in heaven? Well, in this context, there's one thing that's special about them, and that's that they obey God's will immediately and without question. They don't pause to ponder. They don't dialogue and debate about it. They hear God command and they act. Children, let me ask you. Is it enough for, for you to physically do what your parents tell you to do? Is that enough? I bet not. You think mom and dad are going to be happy with you cleaning your room if as soon as you hear, go clean your room, you stomp off to your bedroom and you slam the door and you crank the music up and you throw things around and you might get the room clean, but I bet they're not going to be very happy with you, right? Why not? Because of your attitude. Or what if if they tell you to take the garbage out? And you respond with a scowl. And you walk away. And eventually you take the garbage out. But like three days after the garbage truck was there. You think they're going to be very pleased with you? Of course not. Because of your attitude. Because of your heart. Or if they say, you need to finish your, your dinner. And, and you start bad-mouthing the food and bad-mouthing mom because she dared to make cauliflower. Well, that's not going to go over very well, right? Even if you eat that cauliflower, your attitude is such that you're going to be punished for it, I hope. The kind of obedience that we see there, it's technically obedient. You're doing what they told you to do, but it won't make mom and dad happy because your attitude is rebellious, right? Well, when God or someone He sets over us gives us a command, He wants us to obey. He wants us to do what He said, but He doesn't just want us to do it. He wants us to do it willingly, out of a a submissive and joyful heart. But on the other hand, when we give back talk, or we show disgust in the way that we obey, that's rebellion, pure and simple. Even though we've outwardly obeyed, the attitude of our heart shows rebellion, and that cannot be acceptable to God. That holds true when our parents give us a command, children or a teacher, or a policeman, or a government official. And certainly when God in His Word gives us a command. True godliness requires that we not only do what God commands, but that we do it willingly, joyfully, recognizing His sovereignty and His goodness over us. Paul said in our passage, Kids, young people, did you hear this? Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom. This this sin-soaked world, it knows very little of true submission. When you tell folks to do something, if it's not their idea, oh, they bristle, they frown, they scowl at you. 
It, they want it to be their idea. They want to be the one who came up with it. And boy, if you go against what... It might even be a good idea. They might know it's a good idea, but if they didn't come up with the idea, they don't like that idea of having to submit. And we're no different, are we? But when we hear the government give a lawful... And we, we faced this recently, didn't we? With the coronavirus. Oh, I rejoice today to drive into the parking lot and see so many cars... To see so many of you here today have people sitting in the narthex. What a blessing that is. It was hard for our elders to say, we need to discontinue church until the government says it's okay. That's a hard decision. But they recognize that God placed these governing authorities over us. And we rejoice that many of those that we deal with in this state are Christians. And they're sympathetic to the calling of the church. But they've been given a calling to lead us and guide us. And, and we're called to obey their lawful orders. That's hard. But it's a rich reward when we do it because we're ultimately serving and following after God. Think about what he said concerning how Jesus did that. Who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of, a cro of the cross. That's how humble, how absolutely obedient Jesus was. We all know that there were things that he was commanded to do by his father that he didn't want to do. And that Lord's Supper table demonstrates that more clear than anything else. Kids, you remember the story, right, of him going to the garden at Gethsemane and praying so hard that his sweat poured out like blood. Praying, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But what did he say then? But not my will but yours be done. And then when it became obvious that God's will, the Father's will was for Him to go to the cross and be broken and poured out for us, He arose and He willingly went to meet that. That means that we are called to rejoice in whatever God sets before us. Do you find yourself working a job that you feel is below you? A job that's filthy and that gets no recognition? Well, do it in the recognition that God sees. And He sees not just what you do in that job, but the attitude with which you do it, the effort that you give to it. Men might never see it. You're washing dishes in the back of a restaurant. You're sweeping a dirty sidewalk. They might never notice unless you don't do it. But God sees And he sees not only that you've done it, but the attitude with which you've performed that work. Have you been given faulty equipment that's broken? Then recognize that God's given you the opportunity to make that job better for the next person by fixing that broken equipment. Are you given a difficult boss? Or difficult parents? Or difficult governing officials? Serve them with joy. Rejoicing to, to perceive that God can guide us in a straight path even by such crooked sticks. 
But always, always, always we're praying that God would allow us to remember that He's the one guiding us. He's the one directing us. And therefore, that job is not below me. It's exactly the job I need. That job is not the wrong fit for me. It's not a job that I shouldn't have to put up with. It's exactly what God has ordained for me. And so I can rejoice. And those parents, they're not just mean and, under, and, and uh, out of touch. They're exactly the parents that my heart needs. That government that seems like it's heading in the wrong direction. Well, maybe, maybe you've been called to be part of that and to, to change the course of that government. But in the meantime, God has set that government over you and you're to rejoice in submitting. You see, as we pray this prayer, brothers and sisters, it does something to our outlook. It does something amazing. It shows us we're not in charge. We're not and we can't be independent. Because as soon as we act independently, we will goof it up. We'll make a mess of things. And we'll dishonor God. But as we pray that God would lead us to reject that selfish independence and to rejoice instead in submissive obedience to those authorities over us, but also and especially to God who works through them, He changes us, He transforms us, He makes us more and more to delight in being led in all things by Him. And as we pray that prayer daily, and we begin seeing how He's changing us, we'll recognize what Paul said right here in Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It is God. Not your wisdom, not your smarts, not your inherent intelligence. It is God who is leading you to desire the right things and to not desire the wrong things. It is God who gives you the power to do the hard things you never thought you could and to reject the things that always came so easy. It is God who is molding you and shaping you and transforming you into the person that you are meant to be. It is God who is enabling you to glorify Him and to talk to your neighbor about Him. As long as it is you, as long as you're independent, you've no hope. But if you are feeding on the broken body of Christ, if you are washed in His blood then you'll be praying this prayer asking that God would conform us to His will and it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we desperately need to be transformed by Your will. On, on our own, we'll make a mess of everything. We know it. And so, Lord, we pray that You would set within us the desire to submit to You, the desire to love and serve You alone. And, Father, we ask that You would make it our joy to see Your power at work within us, to change us, to transform us. Now, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.